the Holy Family Chapel Hill podcast, where you will find our weekly sermons, as well as the occasional reflection, conversation, or interview. We are glad you are here. Welcome. In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. I always love the end of Advent because there's usually one week where the readings about Mary coincide. And Mary is one of my favorite people in all of scriptures. And so us. The Archangel Gabriel comes and meets Mary and tells her that she has found favor with God and that God desires her to be the mother of the Son of the Most High. Mary, rightly perplexed because of her virginity, asks how this will happen. Gabriel responds, giving the process, for lack of a better word, of the incarnation. The scene ends with Mary accepting and agreeing to give birth and to raise Jesus. But when we meet Mary in this text, She is the third person named. Readers have already been introduced to Gabriel in the previous story, which was John the Baptist, um, Gabriel visiting Zechariah to foretell the birth of John the Baptist. Uh, The second in this text is Joseph, a descendant of the royal line of David and to whom the virgin is betrothed. And along with Joseph and Zechariah, Luke introduces all the primary figures in Jesus' childhood in chapters 1 and 2 of his gospel with status symbols. Zechariah is a priest, as Jason talked about last week. Elizabeth, his wife, and Mary's cousin is a descendant of Aaron, a.k.a. she is also a pastor's kid. And Simeon and Anna, whom we meet in Luke chapter 2, when Joseph and Mary present Jesus at the temple 40 days after his birth, these two are noted for their devotion and status within the temple. But Mary does not have any status symbols attributed to her. We know very little about Mary at the beginning. We don't know anything about her family of origin, where she grew up, how she met and came to be engaged to Joseph. We learn in the nativity story that she and Joseph are not particularly well off, but we don't know that yet. We also don't know at this point that she's about to participate in a census where she doesn't really count. But we know that she lives in Nazareth, a town that is later characterized in the Gospels as nothing good can come out of Nazareth, because it's far away, part of which is because it's far away from the seats of power. It's not Jerusalem. It's not Rome. And this is part of Luke's point. 
On the one hand, Luke is telling us that God intends to invert the ways of the world. God intends to call even the least expected to be part of the kingdom that will have no end. It is a kingdom where our positions do matter, but do not operate according to the sinful structures of the world. Instead, God calls us where we are to be a part of the unfolding work where we co-labor to bring about the kingdom of God. And this brings us to the second point. God calls Mary right where she is. She's a poor teenager and not married yet. Her social standing isn't much in the world. But because of this, in a way, it gives her the utmost freedom to redefine her relationship to God. These two points about Mary's calling reflect what Rowan Williams says about vocation. Vocation for Williams is both about both existing in general and existing right where we are. It is about God creating us and us being created in a particular place at a particular time. In other words, vocation is about living out our lives as created beings in the place and time where we are now. In calling us, God also addresses us on a deeply personal level because God wants each of us in every single moment to be ourselves and to be in relationship fully with God. And God knows and expects and rejoices that we will each have unique responses to this call. For Mary, God addresses her through Gabriel, greetings, favored one, the Lord is with you. As the text says, Mary is perplexed about this greeting and the call that God is calling, placing on her. Verse two is this angel, and why are you talking to me? What does it mean to be favored? And how exactly is the Lord with me? Yet God addresses her, someone whose status as marginalized may not give her favor in the world, as someone who has found favor with God and with whom God is. It is, I think, a personalized way of speaking to Mary's heart to show her her belovedness, that she was created for God's delight and to delight in God in this particular way. Yet God's trust in Mary, and conversely, Mary's trust in God, doesn't mean that Mary is not confused about the vocation into which she's being called. How can this be, since I am a virgin? It is, on the surface, a question of clarification. How is this going to work? But it also shows Mary's trust in God. There is an implicit yes here. She recognizes the call and wants to say yes. But there's just one kind of big detail about the pregnancy thing that doesn't quite add up. But God, through Gabriel, explains, and Mary agrees. Like Mary, God calls each of us into vocation. Each of us has a vocation, often several, and it is our responsibility to attune ourselves, to hear the Spirit calling us into this work. This is through prayer, through the sacraments, through being in communion with one another. Because at its core, vocation is also 
about responding to God's grace. But we know that to respond to God's call and to God's grace is often difficult. Like Mary, we are rightly perplexed at times. We all have something in our lives, I think, where we can fill in the blank Mad Libs style to replace Virgin in her question. How can this be, since I am fill in the blank? God uses the vulnerable places and the confusing places in our lives to call us into the work God is doing in the world and in our lives. It could be an identity marker or a status position that doesn't make sense according to the logics of a sinful world, but God delights in and uses for his purposes. It could be a call to repent and to turn away from identities or behaviors that run counter to God. But this is the point of vocation. Even in these vulnerable moments, God asks us to be holy ourselves such that we can become closer to God. In calling Mary, God is asking her to risk it all. As an unwed teenage girl with no social standing, there is a possibility that her betrothed will leave her. Luke doesn't talk about this, but Matthew talks about Joseph wondering whether he should leave Mary. This is a real concern. But Mary hears Gabriel's words and knows that the shadow that is represented in Gabriel's response represents God's protection. Mary doesn't need to go ask Joseph what he thinks because in the end, what matters to her is God because God, not Joseph, is the head of her household. Mary knows that in her calling to this vocation, God will guide her and lead her no matter what. God, through Gabriel, is transparent what life will look like for her. Mary knows that she will outlive her child. She's marrying into the household of David. Mary knows the family stories and prophecies concerning the Messiah. Mary shows us what happens when we say yes to God and the callings that God places on our lives. When we start to say yes to God, we draw closer to our creator who transforms our life and big things happen. When we say yes to God, we understand that the risk, that we risk the things that matter most to us in this world. We know that we are likely being called to a vulnerable place. But like Mary, God asks us to trust God because we know that it's Mary's son's kingdom that will have no end. And we are promised eternal life with God, her son. Because in the end, there is no greater vocation and purpose in this world than to say and turn to God, here I am, the servant of the Lord. Let it be with me, with me according to your word. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. You can find out more about the Church of the Holy Family at holyfamilychapelhill.org. Thanks for listening, and join us again next week 
Peace be with you. Oh, yeah.